On Good Friday, we encounter the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth as the punishment of both a king pretender and a god pretender. For Pilate and the Roman Empire, on whose behalf the governor acted, Jesus was condemned as an insurrectionist, one who pretended to be king of the Jews. Rome was a brutal occupier of first century Palestine. Anyone who dared challenge the authority and might of the empire was quickly put down. The titulus, the sign that hung above the crucified one, identified in bitter irony the would-be king of the Jews, and it made that proclamation in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek so that any who passed by would see and remember what Rome would do to those who would be king. For the religious leaders who brought Jesus to the governor's palace, their prisoner was condemned as a blasphemer, one who pretended to be the son of God. According to the law of Moses, there was only one punishment that such a person deserved, someone who made himself out to be the son of God, and that punishment was death by stoning. But Rome had prohibited the Jewish authorities from executing anyone, so they appealed to the occupying power for the sentence of death by making Jesus out to be one who sought to overthrow the emperor, and in exchange, the death sentence was pronounced. But if that had been who Jesus really was, a failed rebel and a messianic pretender, we never would have heard about him. We wouldn't be here today celebrating that strange and horrible victory that God wins for us on the cross. Rome executed thousands of rebels and other notorious criminals by nailing them to the cross, yet almost none of them is still known by name. Throughout the millennia, Religious leaders have put to death more heretics and blasphemers than any could count. Yet only a few of them are worth mentioning. If Jesus were just another leader of just another cause, the remembrance of his death might make a compelling story. But other than giving us some heartwarming entertainment in a time when compelling entertainment is scarce, what difference would that death make to us now? Yet, as Jesus' disciples, as those who see him as God and King, we understand that his death is the very source of our life and the ultimate victory over all that plagues us. That victory is uniquely possible because the one who died for us on the cross is exactly who the political and religious leaders of his day declared that he was not, both God and king. 
In the mythology of the ancient world, the death and resurrection of a divine or semi-divine figure such as Osiris wasn't really all that unusual. Such myths of death and rebirth were associated with the natural cycles of the world. But the concept of a crucified God, a shamefully executed deity who rose again victoriously, that was unheard of. Even in the strange mythologies of the Near East of ancient times, it didn't make sense. Why would a God of power endure the rejection of the powerless in order to reveal a victory that could only be achieved through death? And why would a king accept such a fate not merely as an injustice, but as the very heart of that king's royal prerogative? Why? Because our God is not a God of transactional religion, but a God of redemptive grace. Because our God knows that it is not the holy who needs salvation, but the broken whose very brokenness needs transformation. Because the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, our God and our King, fully human, and fully divine is the means by which the powers of sin and death which have held sway over the human race are themselves put to death. In the cross of Christ, our instinctive understanding of king and God is itself put to death alongside the Nazarene. Our knowledge of how the world works and who God is is itself executed. Our inherited worldview and our religious impulse are shattered. The cross is the reversal of how we accept as of how we expect redemption and reward to be bestowed upon us. When our king and our God is nailed to the cross, the very wrong within us becomes the center of how God acts instead of the antithesis of where God is to be found. Instead of being buried under pretense or swept under a rug or stuffed into a closet or pinned onto a scapegoat, our brokenness is embraced by God and held by God for all the world to see. Instead of embracing and being manifest in our best efforts and our greatest successes, God embodies our biggest failures, and our profoundest shortcomings so that we might receive redemption not through the myth of outrunning them but through the truth of God's accepting them, of God taking them onto God's self so that all that is amiss within us and within the world might be transformed. On this day, we stand in the shadow of the cross of Christ and gaze upon the one who was crucified on our behalf. On this day, we confront the breadth and depth of our failures, not in shame, but in hope, 
because in Jesus Christ we find that they are not merely excused, but are embraced. Not wiped away, but absorbed. Not pushed aside, but enwrapped by God. Those brokennesses are taken on not only by a sympathetic human figure whose unjust and noble suffering inspires the world, but by a God who by accepting them has defeated their power and their essence. Today, we celebrate the awful and awesome death of our King and our God and proclaim the new and unending life that is given to us because of that death. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.